Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, just after 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. This is Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 38. No week off for... The really, I can't believe it after all the work. But similar to what we had, in fact exactly the same as what we had last year when we were from Le Mans straight to the Nürburgring 24. It's the same this year, so if we're going to have a week off, it'll be after the Nürburgring 24. Although I'm hearing rumours that that might not even happen either but we push on tonight with a packed show uh, and on a packed program well sorry i should say hello to tim Greer, who's up in london evening tim how are you good evening john i'm fine uh and on the packed show tonight we have all the usual features excellent uh we've got news we've got our regular contributors uh, we'll be looking ahead a lot to things that are happening this weekend and you can hear all of those of course, across RS1 and uh, RS2 in the radio, uh, but more on that later. Uh, and we'll be uh, doing some interviews which answer some questions that you've been posing on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Oh, yes, yeah, but no, very good. Very good indeed. Uh, and if you uh, weren't around on Monday afternoon, you missed an absolute cracker early evening in the UK. Uh, with our Haggerty 25th hour, and we got an exclusive out of that from Brendan Hartley. We'll reprise that later on, as well as finding out from Zach Brown, the man at the head of United Autosports and, of course, McLaren, what he thinks about the new regulations for the top class at Le Mans, the WEC, and IMSA, and where he thinks McLaren will be taking part and, and which version of the rules that they will be signing up to. That's all still to come. We've literally got so much in tonight, I'm not sure how we're going to squeeze it in. So without further ado, and without even any parish notices, shuffle your papers, Tim, because we've got a big, big story, a triple big story tonight. Play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. You what have you got, Tim? Ah, there's, there's only one place to start, of course, John. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Go ahead. Uh, there's only one place we can start tonight, and that's with uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing's victory on Sunday. Uh, let's start by hearing from the winning driver. It's been a, a tough weekend. Let's say we've been there or thereabouts uh, most of the weekend, with the exception of yesterday afternoon. And and we thought that maybe, you know, that was sort of game over, really, from uh, a chance for victory. But we also knew that, that today would be very tough. Uh, 
we really tried to drive well and, and stay in the middle of the road and you know that did reward us I'm you know also aware that you know there is a bit of luck that needs to go your way and I never like to inherit positions uh, from the others in that way um, but this is the nature of, of Rally Turkey especially and well you said driver there so yes. that was a bit of a giveaway that's not the one we were we were I'm sure that's not the one Nick was actually expecting. That was Elvin Evans, winner of yes. uh, Rally Turkey. Uh, I guess that. Which he I guess by the, the accent. accent. He won on Sunday, putting him back in the lead of the FIA World uh, Rally Championship. Forgot to say hello to Nick Damon. Hooray for rallying. Uh, Evans do try, listen, do try and be a bit more excited, because it's very exciting now. There's only two points between the top two in the, in the championship now. And they've had a couple of no, brilliant there weeks. There's a massive that's, gap now. Is there three points? 18 points he leads 18 by now. Points. Right, sorry. Um, uh, however, they've had a couple of brilliant weeks because they had Oid Tanek winning the rally in his home country the first time it had ever been held in his own country. That was Rally Tanak, obviously. And now Elvin Evans is doing well for Gazoo Racing, Toyota Gazoo Racing. So it, it is, there is quite Elvin's a bit of Elvin's second victory of the season and he did it by 35.2 seconds after a remarkable final morning uh, on the punishing uh, gravel roads of Turkey, uh, which uh, put most of his rivals into trouble. Uh, he was the only front-running driver uh, to escape from the clutches of the fearsome 38-kilometre Chetibeli speed test with his car intact. Uh, overnight leader Thierry Nerville finished second in the Hyundai i20, uh, and he was 24.2 seconds clear of his teammate Sebastian Loeb. Uh, the hopes of both ended when they got punctures in the Chetabelli stage, Novel conceding a minute and 45 seconds and Loeb a minute and 20 seconds. Uh, so, Ogier um, has dropped uh, down the championship uh, and Novel now second in the championship. Uh, Candy Robin Pera, he's another Toyota driver, he finished fourth. He was 90 seconds adrift of Loeb. Uh, again, he got a puncture in Chetibelli. Uh The points garnered by Evans and the teenage Finn enabled Toyota Gazoo Racing to extend its manufacturer's championship lead to nine points over Hyundai. And uh, another great result for Gus Greensmith, his uh, career best. He was fifth in the Ford Fiesta, uh, heading teammate Esapeka Lappi, who limped through the final stage with a broken damper. Timo Suninen retired his Fiesta in Chetibelli with broken suspension, while Pierre-Louis Lube stopped in the same test with engine troubles. Next round of the World Rally Championship is the Mediterranean island of Sardinia. That's on the 8th to the 10th of October for Rally Italia Sardinia, uh, which is based around Alghero. OK, so now can we have the... Toyota news, oh, yes. Toyota Toyota Evans news. wasn't the only person to win in a Toyota no, no, racing car at the weekend. Uh, because as well as victory on gravel, they had victory on tarmac. Dan, uh, Dan had me on the edge of my seat as much as the car did, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, she was, uh, she was a bit lively in the, in the last few laps. So I could see Dan was strong. Of course, he is, he's, uh, he's top drawer and he's in, a, he's in a top car around here. So... I knew it was going to be difficult to get him on, on sheer pace, so I had to get him off the line. So, yeah, well chuffed to get it off the line and well, well, well chuffed to get our first win of the year. So we've talked about two Toyota victories where they were only on the top step, but there was a race at the, we- the weekend where Toyota drivers filled two steps to the podium. Let's hear from them. Right. I felt like this was one of our greater shots to win and... Um... 
uh, I don't know, you know, just come up short. So, um, you know, Skittles Camry was fast and we had a good car, one that was in contention all night long, fired off the start of the race. I was like, oh, wow, this is a pretty good car. And then uh, really good car. So, um, yeah, that's all there is to it. I guess it was a solid day. I thought we had a, a good car there at the end, but I had to start at the back, and that took a while to work through there and, uh, you know, get some track position. It is pretty challenging to pass here, even as, uh, you know, even it, even though it is a short track. But uh, a good run. The, the auto owner's camera got better all night, and, you know, honestly, the last run of the race was our best. We got up there and, you know, into third, and I, I kind of front side of the run and, and run at the end hard and just kind of ran out of time. I just started getting to those guys there when we – I uh, took the checkered. So um, a good day. You know, it was, uh, it was nice to be up there and in contention at the end. So Kyle Busch and Eric Jones finishing second and third in the Bristol Night race behind uh, Kevin Harvick, who won in a Ford. And yeah, uh, that's nearly all of our Toyota news. <laughs> it's fair to say they had a pretty decent weekend, isn't it? Nick, any Mr. comments Jim. on NASCAR or BTCC? Because you haven't no, said much tonight. I'm I'm very worried that they, there was a Yaris Cup event somewhere where they did quite well, or possibly that there's Toyota engines that New Zealand Winter Series, and perhaps they've run that out of phase because of Corona. It, who knows where you're going to find? Did 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 uh, Beryl win the uh, the uh, best parking Asda in her Toyota Corolla? Yes, almost certainly. Was there an auto test somewhere? <laughs> the West Cumbrian auto test that that somebody won in a, a rear wheel drive at Toyota. Uh, I'm going to take GTA you to Japan. Cup. I knew he was going to do this. I knew he was going to do this. I'm not. Go on. All right. Okay. Uh, but someone who has been to Japan is uh, <laughs> tenuous. Tenuous. Uh, Brendan Hartley. And uh, yesterday, no, not yesterday. The day before yesterday, I'm saying yesterday because I didn't listen to it live. I, li- I watched it uh, oh. on the on demand yesterday. Uh, and I saw Nick's cameo as well. That's good. Yeah, very uh, good. It was the Haggerty 25th hour, and we got a bit of an exclusive, didn't we? Yes, we did, because 2020 was the last Le Mans appearance for the TSO 50. So clearly there's going to be a new Toyota for 2021. Brendan Hartley, Le Mans winner, twice Le Mans winner now, uh, joined us on the 25th hour of Le Mans by Haggerty. And... Uh, I sort of tackled them carefully because there was a bit of a rumour at the weekend that some drivers were about to be offered contracts to drive the new car in 2021. And and Brendan, uh, he was good. He was very tired. So the big open question I asked him was, had he seen the new car? And rather cheekily and hopefully catching him out while he was tired, I asked him if he had a contract to drive it. I can confirm I'm, I'm there next year for the, the first season of Hypercar. Yeah. So yeah, stoked, really happy. I saw uh, the wind tunnel model when I was at the factory two weeks ago. Thank you. Not sure if I was meant to say. Oh no, sorry, I sat in it. I sat in it. Ah. I, um, and I'm doing it. I'm doing a seat fit in a couple of weeks. So I sat. I sat in the car without the bodywork, but I saw the. Yep. It, it looks. It looks awesome. No one else is. Yeah, I don't, I, there's no. There's no images of it. Yeah, but it, look, it looks great. Yeah, it looks really good. And I'm, I, we are testing in the coming months. I can't give it the exact date, but yeah, we are testing it in the, in the coming months. Exactly. It, it exists. So Nick, he has got the contract. That was the exclusive. Very happy to say that. And, and then remembered that he'd actually sat in the car and it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary what a lack of sleep and driving for, you know, eight hours 
of of 24 can do for you. I've completely forgotten that I sat in next year's car, had a seat fitting, and I didn't just see a wind tunnel model. That's um, he's got he's got such a selective memory. He should be an MP. No, he was good. That uh, was very good on there. The Haggerty twenty fifth thousand. If you haven't seen it, the, the the thing about that I think that came out more than anything else is that where everyone else is talking about what they might do, Toyota are pretty close to getting that car testing. From what Brendan said there. Well, they've been signed up to LMDH or hybrid, or it's called, since day one, haven't LMH. they? So they've, LMH, LMH. Well, that's what I car. Yeah, yeah. So they've 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 and they've certainly had a rendering. So they've known the direction they're going. That that rendering first came out at least probably the last Le Mans, or so fifteen months ago. So they've known where they're going, and they're probably pretty sure that the ACO isn't going to completely shoot them in the foot with a complete change of direction. So they've um, they've had a chance to get things moving. Yeah, absolutely. And quite clearly. Um, there was a lot of people talking about it at the weekend. Le Mans happened, which was the great thing to start with. Um, there's been some repercussions from Le Mans, which I don't know if you want to talk about that no. now, Tim, or you wait that for okay, we'll wait wait for that for for later on. But amazingly, there were still people, Nick, saying why weren't there spectators there? Why couldn't we have spectators there? Well, because we can't. Because it was the law in France, and in fact. They needed special dispensation to get the amount of people in the paddock in their highly controlled protocols and strictly enforced uh, as well. And, you know, can we not just celebrate the fact that we had a, what I described at the weekend as a proper old-fashioned new century endurance race? It was quality. Hardly anybody had had a, a clean run at it, even Toyota. Yeah, you know, there's there's always naysayers and moaners, and when something goes off without incident, they therefore assume that if you'd added to the risk, it would still have gone out, off without incident. Well, that's not how things work, is it? Um, no, I mean, it was, it was a, a fine effort by the ACO to, to get the event on, put the event on, uh, you know, against the shifting sands that is the current situation worldwide with corona. You know, if you live in the UK, you'll know it's ramping up now. Some countries are a bit, a bit better off. So you get contrary, contrary points. But the fact is that, you know, you, you have to pay the, the safety of everyone in mind. And at the moment, that's where we're at. And let's just hope that we can uh, not be like that uh, in time for next June. Uh, one thing that amazed me, um, and I know it happens often, but it certainly isn't something we can take for granted. Nobody failed post-race scrutineering. No, but there was a results change because of drive time infractions. Yes. Was that? I didn't see that one. Yeah, that? that came out quite a bit. It didn't affect any of the major positions, um, which is probably why it didn't make a, uh, problems. But as Tim rightly said, uh, post-race tech this year, not sacred post-race tech, which we ran with all the podium celebrations, with a bit, which were a bit muted as well, to be honest. But no, everybody uh, got through who needed to get through. Um, they, I'm pretty certain, yeah, we covered the fact, didn't we, that the Proton car with Dominic Bastian in it was, that was the 80, no, the 99 88. car. No, 88 right car was right, okay. I should have just gone with it. And uh, that car wasn't classified. We had a disqualification, which we haven't had for, I can't remember how long, since we had a disqualification in the race for JCDC for outside assistance. And they basically put their... Uh, hands up and said, it's a fair cop gov. We couldn't have got it going um, if we didn't smuggle a battery to the driver, which is illegal. Man, 
and don't forget that you and I have sorted that for next year. We're digging the holes as of next week. Yes, exactly. They're still not and allowed to change batteries. If you carry a spare battery, you would be allowed to. If it was in the car, really? if it wasn't past it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so it was the issue that it was that it was passed from person to person rather than he picked it up off the ground. Correct. Ah. Correct. I, I, th- uh, it, I thought they weren't allowed to do any changes to the fuel source of the car outside of the pit lane. You're not allowed to... That wasn't a fuel source because it was an LMP2 car. So that that was a part. You're not allowed to add fluids. You're not allowed to... So you're not allowed to add fuel out there. And uh, he... If that had been in the car, um, he'd have been fine. You, you, you're not really allowed to be handed tools but that's happened in the past that tools have been thrown over and just landed next to the car. Um, so that's, you know, but if they'd had a spare, you know, if you, if they'd gaffer taped a spare battery into the car and some people used to do that with the tools that you carry in the car and the driver. Now the driver can receive instruction from behind the fence. So you can shout to him, no, no, the red one, not the black one. Um, and that would be fine, but you're not allowed to hand him anything. I have a semi-serious question about this. Go, go. In the modern world, you're not allowed to hand it to him. What if it was delivered by drone? Well, I had a chat with somebody about that. And uh, it, it depends who sees it, Nick, basically. You know, if you find it on the ground next to the car and you use a stick to pry something off, um, so... You know, you're probably all right. Mm. Um, if it just so happened, that the stick other thing was actually that I've, an aluminium spanner. Well, the other thing I wondered about is if your team car came around and dropped one off for you, but that's counted as you being handed it by someone else. It can't be in the other car. And I asked that question. What if it's so a part that put, falls off of the other car? Ah, if it was a part that fell off the other car, yes. And well, was just and sitting there. Within ten meters of you. And bounced within ten meters. I think we're getting a bit esoteric though here, aren't we? Well, we've seen that sort of thing happen in NASCAR, haven't we? Where parts have been discarded from cars. True. Just just before they needed to be weighed. Yes. Mm. Anyway, bad luck and well done. and well done for trying it, and well done for handing it, holding your hands up when you get caught. More on uh, that later on. Oh, one thing before we do move on. You mentioned that uh, Brendan Hartley was uh, very tired on Monday. Mm. Do you know what Antonio Felix da Costa spent uh, his Monday doing? Yes, I do. Climbing a mountain. Close, no, John. You've got, you got the wrong way. It was surfing. Right, it went, really? Well, well that's surfing. good. Very good. If you'd found me on the beach after... A twenty-four hour race. I would not. Uh, yeah, sound asleep on a deck chair. We uh, deck chairs in Portugal, do you? Do you not? Maybe he was uh, surfing on a, a deck chair. Uh, you know. Ah, yeah. maybe I'd be sound asleep lying on a surfboard then. When he says surfing, do we have pictorial um, evidence of that, or was he just lying asleep on a surfboard? Because frankly, you know, I've come away from 24 hours where I've been so tired I could have slept on a clothesline, never mind a, an ironing board or a surfboard. More on them on later. 
For Ooh. now, we are going to look ahead to uh, this weekend's big race because the morning is not the end of anyone's season or calendar year. Uh, this weekend, we are off to the Nürburgring, aren't we, Nick? Are we what for? It's the 24 <laughs> hours of the Nürburgring. Oh, right. Sorry. I, do you know what? I am so, um, I, I was so proud of myself that we were going to spit your F1 there. I was going, Sochi, 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 Sochi. And you just <laughs> sideswiped me right there. And I said, they go, no, I'm not going to Nürburgring. That's, that's about, you know, cut the race's time. Then. But then, ah, right. Sorry. I must get off my, my, get out of my individual brain bubble. Yes, we're going to Nürburgring for the 24 hours. Very exciting. So Nick Damon's part of our commentary team. So hopefully he uh, yeah. has done some research. Uh, I, Joe and I have had a long chat today about it, actually, and he's he 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 has been designated as printer waller, and there is a large <laughs> amount of information being uh, and 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 with those don't forget printing off the entry list for the, for the number twenty four even in this year's slightly reduced numbers is not a work of a moment or a single tree. No, uh, there have been though even today, uh, and I. Uh, found an entry list which was dated 8.40am this morning and already that is out of date. Yes, there's been some problems um, in the Porsche camp, haven't there? Yes. That was yesterday, of course. Sorry, 8.40 yesterday, yes, and already it's yes. out of date. Yes, exactly. But it's fine because Joe printed this off this morning, so we're all right. <laughs> good, good. Uh, John, Porsche problems. We alluded to this earlier on, didn't we? Um there, this was always the risk of Le Mans. This all goes back to Le Mans. As Charles Dressing always used to say, it all comes back to Le Mans. Um, well, in this case, it does. Because despite the strict protocols that were very, very rigidly enforced, and, I mean, it's impossible to say, of course, whether the three Porsche bubble members and they haven't been named for obvious reasons caught it at Le Mans um, or had it already when they got there or whatever although there were tests when people arrived but of course tests are only any good for that snapshot in time and, and that is the issue with this however three Porsche team members and I use that in the broadest sense of the word tested po- positive for COVID. We wish them well and hope they don't develop any serious symptoms. The problem has been that that then casts uh, a shadow over everyone who was there and in the same bubble or who even dropped into the same bubble. There's been some confusion about whether it's works drivers or not works drivers and even people who came in to help out at the last moment, or Nick Tandy, who was driving an LMP2. I mean, all of this, you know, what happened afterwards? Did they mingle? We don't know. But Porsche Motorsport, and I, Nick, don't think you can... I don't think you can criticise Porsche Motorsport for this at all. I said yesterday on Twitter that one of the things I've always been impressed with with Porsche Motorsport is the respect that they have for their competitors, whether they win or lose. Actually, it's sometimes even more impressive when they do lose. Didn't have a great year at Le Mans last year, but they still put out some great marketing material, which congratulated the people who beat them in difficult years 
like the Alan Simonson death at Le Mans, they were extremely, um, I thought, extremely respectful of what had gone on. And they have shown responsibility and respect and a very sensible attitude and effectively said, we cannot send our drivers into a new bubble in all in all good feeling that they might be, quote-unquote, taking it, meaning COVID, into the Nürburgring paddock. And, and quite frankly, and also IMSA as well, by the way, of, of which we'll come on to that with Shea later on, it, it's, it starts with the same premise, though, that they didn't feel it was... It was anywhere near right to risk anyone else's health. And I, and I think you can't say anything but commend them for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think, you know, it's, it's the only way to go forward. You know, if, you, if you take the, the, the protocol seriously, if you have an unfortunate incident, as, as happening, it's being picked up from somewhere, you know, then you can't, with the um, you know, with faith, with the incubation period, then send people out, no matter if they did test negative this morning, into another packed area with another set of people, because you just don't know. Um, it's really unfortunate, because I... We're all, you know, most likely none of these people will actually develop it. But it's all about ifs, isn't it? It's all about cutting down the cutting down the, the chances of it happening. And if they don't go, it definitely won't shred into that area from them. And what basically it means is we won't get the Manti Grello car because that's gone completely. And it's meant a, quite a lot of shuffling for the Porsche teams uh, and uh, some of their customer teams, including KCMG who have drafted in Earl Bamba. Um, Earl, because he's not now going to be driving in the States, and I'm sorry we're getting into a story we're going to talk about later on, but Earl is not now driving in the States, and if you haven't picked up uh, on that, then, you know, ultimately Porsche won't be there at Mid-Ohio this weekend. It's going to look a lot different. Um, the Falcon team, which runs two Porsches now, they used to run two different cars, Nick. They, they're going to try and shuffle their drivers around and, and just do it with the drivers they've got left. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the interesting thing is, for me, is that you know, the 24 of Nürburgring tends to be a four or five driver uh, uh, race compared to the, the three at Le Mans. So, you know, it is possible to do it with three. I mean, the level of concentration required in Nürburgring are uh, rather uh, more stellar, certainly at night. But, uh, yeah, they, they've, they've got a selection of drivers. Let's try and let's, let's make it happen. Um, yeah, they still have six have drivers, after all, and... Two of them yeah. will be in both cars, and the other yeah. four will be in one car each, either the thirty-three or the forty-four. So it's it's not unheard of that. Uh, I mean, we've seen many times in the past drivers uh, who have been in two or sometimes three different cars at the Nurburgring twenty-four hours. So it's only unusual that this is a high-profile team, and they've got two of them doing it yeah i think we'll see a lot of improvisation as things happen now because the point about it is you you're there you you just got to make it work uh, and and they will uh, it i i'm not sure that the 107 106 105 and and declining mm-hmm. um I, it's by far the smallest entry that we've ever seen since we've been going there in 2006. 2006, there was 220, 229 cars there. So we are now more than 100 uh, entries fewer than what we had um, the first time I commentated 
on the race. It will change, Nick. The it will change the character of the race. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, yeah. You know, obviously, the, the the reason there aren't two hundred and sixty entries is because they they changed the, the eligibility didn't they? And, and and trimmed it down slightly as far as the classes that were there. But it's going to mean that the there is going to be more free space, and that sounds an odd thing to say when you've got uh, you know thirteen miles to play with. But more free space, less traffic incidents, less less reasons to uh, to moan about things, and more chances to make your strategy work the way you want to do. So it's an opportunity for some of the people who felt they've never had the chance to run the race they wish. They're going to have a much better chance of running it with only a hundred other cars on the track. Uh, Tim, uh, the KCMG changes. Do you want to go through those in a bit more detail? Yes, uh, one of their dry, uh, one of their cars hasn't really changed much at all, has it? Um, the uh, uh, apart from the fact that it's gained uh, uh, Dennis Olsen, who is now sharing uh, his time across both cars, um, but the other one, um, it's almost improved its lineup because they've added a Timo Bernhardt and a Jörg Bergmeister. Not exactly downsizing or down trading, Nick. That is it. No, they've managed to find a couple of people hanging around the. Uh, I'm sure they were just hanging around the back of the pit, you know, looking plainly, trying to try and get in, get, get in with their helmet hanging in a bag. So yeah, it's not a bad way of picking up. A couple of uh, uh, Porsche legends just happened to be there. So it's uh, yeah, that KCMG have, have obviously got first dibs in as soon as they saw this was, this issue was arising. Well, and and obviously Manti not fielding a car at all means that there are you know more options to move some of the factory drivers around. But in those two, I mean, Timo is one of the most successful drivers of any manufacturer at the Nürburgring 24. Yeah. It, 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 you know, it, it's a... Eight-class wins he's got, Nick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big loss, I think, really, for, to the event. But again, in these, in these days and these times, we have to be thankful that there will be an event that will start and there will be 100 starters. Uh, so just to summarise, the 18 car will be Earl Bamber, Timo Bernhardt, York Bergmeister and Dennis Olsen. That, that's a great lineup, And that's Bamber added to that as well, yes. as we said, because he wasn't originally in that car. So Bamber, Bergmeister and Bernhardt added to a car. It's not making it work. Uh, and Olsen added to a car. Not really. Uh, well, Olsen was, Olsen was already across, in it. Yeah, but yeah. But that's, the, the that's not making it slow. The three drivers have 22 Nürburgring 24-hour <laughs> starts between them. Mm. Uh, the other car, um, along with Olsen, is uh, Alexandre Imperatori, uh, Josh Burden and Eduardo Liberati. That's the 9-19. There's more bad news for the Nürburgring 24 hours, though, isn't there, Nick? Go on then. You're, you're, that's an open statement about it. Is, is this the, the lack of the Manta Foxtail or something this else? This is the lack of the Manta Foxtail. Yes. That is 2020 all over, isn't it? Mm. Yes, that is bad news. I was, I was looking forward to seeing it. But yeah, yeah it's a. There are many things that this year will be remembered for, and, 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 and this will be one of them the loss of the Manta Foxtail. But it's not all bad at uh, the N24 because. There is a celebration going on, isn't there? Go on then. Who's who's celebrating what? Well, it is the fifty. It's fifty years since the first running of the twenty-four hours of the Nurburgring. Okay. And it's also the uh, fifty years since the first uh, Nurburgring twenty-four hours win by BMW. 
from that from that uh, piece of information, I take it they won the first race. <laughs> and they're celebrating this uh, with a special livery on the number 36 uh, BMW M2 oh, CS really? racing uh, car. Uh, it they're painting like a 2002, are they? It has a big um, laurel wreath painted on the roof with a number 50 around it in BMW M Sport colours. Um, and BMW rest- M Sport covers by colours, by the way, which cannot, which simply cannot make a car, any car, look worse. <laughs> it is, it is just an extraordinary colourway that immediately, or bike, but you know the motorrad stripes, the M Sport stripes. Doesn't matter whether it's on a light coloured bike or a dark coloured car. The you know we've had the black BMWs in IMSA with the M Sport stripes and and the M Sport liveries are just outstanding and written it's, on the sides sort of of, oh, sorry nick i'm written on the sides of this car are some numbers 2004 1985 2010 1990 1998 1997 1989 2005 1972 1992 uh which presumably are the years that they won it yeah we're in, we're in Bayern, we buy me won the car <laughs> uh i believe bmw have won 19 Nürburgring 24-hour races, is that right? If you say so. I've done more research than Nick, haven't I? Yes, Uh, The car will be driven by Dirk Adorf, uh, Christian Gebhardt, Nicky Scheller and Tom Coronel. Who will be following and unfollowing people all weekend on Twitter. Following them, then. Is unfollowing the same as going past someone? Yes, or pulling (laughs) into the pit. All right, Okay. (laughs) Uh, the Nürburgring 24 Hours is live on RS1 all weekend. The coverage starts on Thursday with uh, qualifying one and qualifying two. Uh, so qualifying one is at 12:20 UK time, uh, 1:20 in the afternoon. Uh, on if you're at the Nürburgring, we've got. Uh, that's completely wrong. I'm looking at Friday's schedule. Uh, it's at 11:25 in the UK, 12:25. Uh, if you're at the Nürburgring. Uh, two more sessions on Friday, and then on Saturday, warm-up and the start of the race, which concludes on Sunday. And Nick will not be the only person talking about it. He'll be joined by uh, Johnny Palmer, Joe Bradley, Peter Snowden, and Alex Brundle. You should put Peter Snowden first, as he's our, one of our voices of the uh, Nürburgring of, of, of events the, uh, this year. Yeah. Nordschleife Langstracher Zeri, yes. Of which this is not, of, of which course. this is not part. No, it is not part. And people get that very mixed up. Uh, it's a standalone. I don't know what you're doing with your mic, Nick, but it's making a lot of noise every time you move. Um, uh, the the uh, It's not part of the uh, NLS. It's a standalone event. Although in previous years, some of the NLS events have counted for pre-qualifying. We haven't had that this year, and we haven't had the pre-qualifying race as such. So qualifying this year, Nick, and you're going to love this, is even more complicated than ever. Yes, that's what we need to know. So are you uh, looking forward to it then, Nick? Yeah, no, I can't wait. I mean, don't forget, this is, I, I, I've normally not been, this is the first time I've been involved. This is, this is, the, this is, the, this is the COVID plus point for me. You know, <laughs> I, I'm actually involved in an event I haven't been involved in ever before. So it's great. Excellent. Uh, that all kicks off on Thursday. Check That's www. 
Uh, I know that's tomorrow, but it, it all right, that kicks off on Thursday in the UK and Europe. There are people listening elsewhere. Um, check www. <laughs> it kicks off on Thursday everywhere. Well, not. What, even in the Solomon Islands? Uh, they 13 hours ahead. They're a very long way ahead. Might be yeah. the early hours of Friday yeah, morning be in parts of Australia. 25 minutes into Friday. In, no, not in yeah, Australia. No, the Solomon Islands. Anywhere who's 13 hours ahead, it'll be 25 minutes into Friday. I suspect there's no one listening in the Solomon Islands. You never know. We've got yeah, people yeah, listening all over. Anyway, my point was, check www.radio-show.co.uk and at the bottom of there, RS1 and RS2 have all the live events for this weekend. RS1 is where you'll find the Nürburgring 24. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 15, Episode 38. This week on the grid, it's time to give the Kiwis some love. Hotshot Kelly Racing driver Andre Heimgartner joins the show to discuss a really impressive weekend at the Bend Motorsport Park last time out, which netted him his second podium of the season. It's been a challenging four-event stretch for the Kiwi, but gee, his team bounced back in style, and he'll look to do it all again this weekend back at the Bend, but on a different circuit layout. We also talked to Andre about why he could be a real contender at Bathurst in October. After that insightful chat, I'm joined by Shebex and Mark Walker as we break down the fun of last weekend at the Bend. Gee, it was nice to be back at a racetrack and look forward to doing it all again this weekend. Plus a look at a new Supercars TV deal. We attempt to count to six and fail pretty badly. Talk super licenses and a whole heap more. Please join us Thursday night UK time on RS1. One other sports car story that you may have seen today and that is the... CEO of LMEM, the organisation that organises the World Endurance Championship and European Le Mans series, Gerard Neveu, has announced he's going to step down at the end of this year. We'll have more on that in a couple of weeks' time when we get to talk to Gerard about his nine years in charge of the organisation and the more than 100 races that he's organised in that time. But we've got some races this weekend at Mid-Ohio, it's the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the Michelin Pilot Challenge, Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama, and the IMSA Prototype Challenge. And here to preview those is Shay Adam. Hello, Shay. Hello, Tim. There, now you have a ringtone too. <laughs> a message. You, you know you are now famous. You've been turned into um, a, an audio soundbite for people's phones, thanks to Alan Prosser. Uh, for that, Aline Prosser, um, as we uh, now know we should have been calling him for such a long time. Right, we, we talked about this year and, you know, obviously part of the story is already there. Earl Bamba, we know, is going to be at the Nürburgring instead of mid-Ohio. Nick Tandy's not travelling. Lawrence Vantor's not travelling. Patrick Pelier was told he couldn't go. Uh, so uh, there are going to be no... Porsche GT team North America cars. No, and it's it's terribly disappointing to put it bluntly. Mid Ohio is a track where they've won the last two mm. years. Ever since we've gone back, 
Um, they're a team that absolute fan favorites were allowed 6,000 fans to the race this weekend. A lot of those people are going to have Porsche crests on their hats and t-shirts and they're not going to get to see the new RSR 19. So it's a real shame for a lot of the fans out there, but I completely get the logic behind why you don't want to be the conveyors of this. And we have to remember the bigger picture. Uh, and in point of fact, it also has rather robbed the uh, team manager of uh, Core Autosport, who who run that team, Gary Davis, of his send off because this was meant to be his last race for the team anyway before he goes off to Formula E. Yeah, for Gary, who's he's the guy who um, is on the box for the 911. He's always talking and traveling with Nick Tandy. You'll frequently see them together in lounges. It's the end of a long-time partnership. Uh, and also, for the 911 Porsche, it was supposed to be the last weekend for Neil Weissert, the rear tire changer who goes off to work at SpaceX. So it's a oh, big cool. goodbye. I, isn't it pretty cool? He's going to go off and be a rocket technician. I mean, life isn't bad. So hang on. It is rocket science for him from now on. Exactly. That's what I was telling him the other day. It, it's pretty fun uh, when you consider all of these possibilities that are now opening up for people who have worked in racing for such a long time. They're, they're forced to go down new avenues. But for those two guys who have been a part of this team in particular, of that 911 Porsche, they don't get their proper send off. They don't get their goodbye. So for them, it really is sort of a, a weird taste in the mouth to consider that the last race, that was it. Yeah. Now, what about the last race for Porsche GT North America? Their their release was a bit non-committal. Uh, it's Charlotte and the GT only event next, and then of course there's the two big finishes to the season with Petit Le Mans, Motul Petit Le Mans, and the Mobile One Twelve Hours of Sebring Championship is gone it, without them. Uh, turning up for this one, what's what's the the paddock feeling about them them coming back at all? Well, there's five races left for yeah. GTLM because, as the ones you mentioned, and WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, which is yeah. a track that has haunted Porsche for the last few years, so they really did want an opportunity to go back and and have a swing at it. The feeling in the paddock from what I'm hearing and from the people that I'm able to to talk to through all this, because of course most people are just sad in general. It's been a terrible year for the Porsche GT team in North America. They found out fairly early on that the program was going to end at the end of the season. They're the only manufacturer in GTLM with no wins. Corvette has had their four. BMW has had two. Porsche's had a couple of seconds. They've had three thirds. They haven't gotten that win. So it's sort of an awkward situation where the defending GTLM champs are no longer in the championship. You miss a race and you're out. They were tied for fourth coming into this weekend, a three-way tie, basically last. And then when you consider the manufacturer's championships, they're already down 12 points to Corvette. If you're going to miss a race, it's done. It's over. They're not going to defend either of their championships. Uh, The problem, the bigger problem, not just for Porsche, even if they do come back, but let's look at this weekend first. Uh, And I have to say, uh, this is just my own personal opinion. Um, You and I have talked about this before. Uh, The guys at Core were all told to look for other employment. Some of them have already left because they had the offer of good work and and quite fairly. And again, with respect, we talked about respect with Porsche earlier on to let them go, uh, even though it was in the middle of the season because it, it, it gave them some 
some additional work opportunities that was going to go on beyond the end of the uh, the season. But four cars this weekend. BMW still to uh, confirm what they're doing in 2021. Now, that's not unusual. We don't normally hear no. about that until their night of champions uh, later on in the year. And that's been pushed back even later this year for the obvious reasons. But we could have the situation in 2021 where where without Porsche and potentially without BMW, with no one else looking to step forward, Corvette, with their brand new car, just introduced, are going to be racing themselves again. That that can't be good. It, it's not good. And if you talk to Doug Feehan, he'll tell you all about the period of time where they kept the program alive racing themselves and how they wanted competition, but they made do without it. And if that's the situation that's presented once again, you have to start questioning the class structure, and then you start going down a much deeper wormhole. We know that the Corvette, in theory, is compatible to become a GT3 car, but they don't want to make a GT3 car. If they had wanted to, they would have done that by now. So what? Plus GM have already got a GT3 and a GT4 car, haven't they? So. Well, exactly. And that's the other flip of the coin is what happens to the factory program. And then does GTD, in effect... Uh, have a a knock-on ramification. There's already been talk this year. There have been whispers among the paddock of the potential of transferring GTD to becoming a pro-pro and a pro-am class, where that would happen in place of GTLM and GTD. That would interest Corvette to keep racing there. Um, It's... The problem for Corvette, if that, the other problem for Corvette, the bigger problem for Corvette without Porsche to race against, is... Without IMSA and without any competition in IMSA, how do they justify going to Le Mans? And would it mean they would have to look at the WEC? Now, WEC is going to be a six-race calendar, pretty much. Well, they're saying three and three at the moment, but the likelihood is it'll be four and two, because I honestly don't think the WEC is going to Sebring uh, next year. I I, I don't honestly think it's uh, going to... Uh, the Far East either. It might still get to the the Middle East. But is it worth Corvette basing themselves with a team or a base in Europe for Corvette racing? It is a world car now. It is coming to the UK in right-hand drive. It is being sold in Europe and probably spending about the same money for six WEC races and Le Mans 2021, which, of course, they haven't raced that car at yet. Then, you know, at Le Mans um, and then basically not do. I'm not saying as well as I'm saying instead of is or is that or is Corvette not racing in IMSA just something we can't even countenance? To be blunt about it, the marketing for Corvette racing, the reason that Corvette racing exists is because they sell cars in America. Mm. They do their entirety of their global marketing with that one race in France every single year. So that is where they stem their marketing towards Europe. If Corvette were not to be racing in the States, if they were to instead be focusing on the WEC, that would be, in my opinion, that would be detrimental because the fan base, everyone in, in America knows what a Corvette is. Everyone in America knows that Corvette race something. If they're going to be racing in the World Endurance Championship, there are very, 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 very few Americans percentage-wise who know what that is. If you talk about racing in NASCAR, 
versus talking about racing in IMSA, you're much more likely to have an understanding mm. when you're trying to sell it in a board meeting. If you're going into a board meeting and saying, hey, I need a $100 million sponsorship to go race in the WEC, the big bosses at the top are going to say, the what? Mm. Yeah, good point. Uh, let's move on to the rest of the weekend. Uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Uh, yes. You, you, sorry, you've already mentioned, of course, that we've lost WeatherTech. Uh, I don't understand, well, by the way, how Cooper McNeil can go and race anywhere when he's just come back from France. Um, surely he's got to be going into quarantine for a couple of weeks on the way back. But apparently it's only advisory uh, going back into the States. But anyway, by the by, uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Um, If I could just hit really quickly on something with Cooper, I think what he's trying to do, because initially when I talked to him, his plan was to try and do both races this weekend, missing one of the Ferrari Challenge races. But he has won every single one of the Ferrari Challenge races overall this year. I think he might be trying to focus on that championship instead of the one where he's ninth in points. I think he's going to try and do a complete sweep of that championship this year. And that's why he's elected to go to other tech race by Laguna Seca. But pilot challenge we move on to a very interesting bop spreadsheet that came out because there were some significant changes namely that the michelin pilot challenge is no longer strictly obeying the recommendations shall i say in bunnier quotations from europe they have gone their own way for tcr and they have implemented a weight ballast sort of thing a weight compensation is the name of it for the audis they are going to have 20 kilos more for race one. And for the Hyundais, they're going to have 60 kilos more. Six, zero. Wow. The only, I know. That's like having you sitting in the passenger seat. It is. It is. Um, the only other change that's really noteworthy on in terms of BOP, and again, we're not talking about an inconsiderable amount of weight, 40 kilos have been taken out of the McLaren. So it's big swings going on in Pilot Challenge right now. Um, but it's going to make the uh, race in TCR in particular much more interesting because the Hyundais have just run off and hid in every single round this year. Uh, as far as Porsche concerned and the prototypes, the usual suspects for the most part are there. Are there. Watch out for a Porsche announcement at uh, midday 30 at Mid-Ohio, their time on Friday. Uh, And that's going to be very interesting indeed. We've got some details on that on IMSA Radio. And the other quick thing I'm going to say about WeatherTech is uh, it is a Honda-sponsored track still, Mid-Ohio. And there (laughs) there are a lot of rumours. Nobody wants to talk about it from Acura, but there's a lot of rumours that at least one of the two teams that are running the Acura DPIs will be announced this weekend. Uh, And, of course, we know that Penske won't be. Their tenure has come to an end. From what I've heard, it will be one of two teams that has a three-letter acronym. Um, Work out that one, if you will. I think that's going to come this weekend, though. And one of those uh, two teams, um, it has a birthday right around this week, as a matter of fact. So that's going to be a nice birthday present for somebody. Yeah, okay. Uh, Shay, good luck at the weekend. Jeremy, Shay, and uh, hopefully myself, as well as Brian Till on IMSA Radio for the Mid-Ohio IMSA event this weekend. So that's RS2 IMSA Radio. Again, go to www.radio-show.co.uk for that. 
and uh, we'll keep you up to date with everything that you need to know across the weekend with all those uh, those races. Well, there was more detail released over the weekend about the new regulations for the top classes of the ACO and IMSA. And on Monday's Haggerty 25th hour, John spoke to Zach Brown, boss of both McLaren and United Autosport, and asked him his impressions of the new class. I'm, uh, I'm excited, first and foremost, as a sports car fan, as what I think sports car racing is going to look like in the future. And from a McLaren point of view, um, you know, we've been uh, working hard to get our act together in Formula One. We're, we're on our way, but have a long way to go. We entered IndyCar. We're having a good season there, uh, third in the championship with, uh, with Pacho Awards. So that's going well. And I've made no uh, secret of the desire of McLaren to eventually come back to sports car racing. We kind of have to do one thing at a time and, and with, especially with what's going on with COVID, make sure that we're uh, uh, financially being responsible, but it's definitely on the radar, something that we've spent quite a bit of time reviewing, something we would like to be in. So I'd like to think it's more a matter of uh, uh, when than if. I remember the great battles between privateers at the sharp end of the field. It's been difficult, Zach, for privateers to do that. It seems to me these new regulations, whether it's the LMDH or the hypercar, would encourage more teams, private teams, like United Autosports, to become involved. And is that what you're thinking when you think with your McLaren hat on, that, that you've got to build something that's privateer-friendly? Yeah, and, and, and I think not only you know building it but more importantly the you know the running and the running costs uh you know lmp2 i think uh you know has witnessed this weekend what an outstanding race 24 car grid uh and, and a fight till the till the end and it's something that economically you can get to work so i think with these new rules and maybe i like to romanticize about the history of the sport but back when you had 962s and 956s you know that you had your works teams but then you also have customer teams and i think you know eight out of ten times the works team's going to win but the privateer was in with a, a shout and they won in the whether it was imsa or lamar they they had a chance and so i think these new rules um you know are really great for manufacturers but also makes it realistic for uh, privateers to uh, compete and if they give it all they got maybe the works team has a little bit of a fumble they can go win lamar and as far as McLaren's concerned, does DPI 2.0, LMDH or whatever, does does that tick enough boxes? Yeah, I think uh, if we do it, I would think we'd go down the LMDH route. Uh, you know, that would get us both in Le Mans and in America. You know, if we were to do it, it would be, you know, world endurance would be the focus for us because we have IndyCar that kind of ticks the box for North America for us, but we would want to supply customer cars. And so ultimately think LMDH will have a, a larger market to, to serve. And I also like the cost containment nature of LMDH where uh, LMH, uh, I think they're still working on what they're going to call it, has the ability to be a little bit more expensive. And, you know, b- budget is, um, you know, we're not a big, uh, big company, uh, unlike the Toyotas, the Peugeots, uh, et cetera. So I, I like the LMDH kind of has a tighter rule base. Shay and Nick are still with us. Uh, Shay first. He clearly isn't going to be entering uh, IMSA with a works McLaren team, but selling cars to other teams who might be interested in running them. 
Yeah, and he definitely does have a vested interest in IMSA, even if it's not running necessarily under his name, or he still wants his brand there represented. And it's such a good sign. We've talked in the past about how maybe there aren't the best portents going on for IMSA right now with car counts going down and, and things shifting around. But what a great sign that we could have a McLaren LMDH. That would just be a childhood dream. Think about the liveries, John. Oh, yeah. I, I, the other thing I thought was interesting with that, Nick, um, is if McLaren are going to do a works program with an LMDH and not a hypercar, as, as Zach said, whatever they're going to call that, if it is still hypercar, they want WEC. So they want to do the full season of WEC and Le Mans with the DPI 2.0 with the LMDH, whatever that car is going to be called. Now, now that suggests that that's, that's a big name for the ACO to wrap their heads around and the WEC to wrap their heads around because you would think that they wouldn't want the what they might say is the lesser of, of the versions of the cars to be competitive. But with somebody like McLaren behind it, you'd have to take that seriously and the BOP would have to be right, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, they do have another reason to want to uh, to WEC. Who owns McLaren? Nah. Bahrain owns McLaren. Yes. Where's WEC run? Bahrain. Very you good know, point. It, it's a it's a absolute uh, fit for them on WEC front. I mean, we, we I think Zach, you know, is right as well. Yeah, they have to just get their house in order. They've had a tricky time over the last few months, but obviously they are now on the up in in most of the ways they're going. But if they, if they can just carry on in that vein, then there's no reason why they couldn't compete effectively in both. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the, the we're, we're with customer cars because he's keen yeah. on customer cars. Of course, he is. He wants to sell them. Yeah, but I'm sure that they, they would also have a, a hole for some for a, a semi works entry, I think, because they've got plenty of drivers they can get hold of. That's for sure. Well, and the other thing is uh, that you know, as as we know, share that Zach is a man of many hats. How many hats? Um, um, and one of them, yes, all of them. Uh, and one of them is United Autosport, and we've seen United Autosport already in IMSA with LMP2 and at the part that we didn't play there of the Haggerty 25th hours, Zach was saying he, he didn't feel that LMP2 now um, was viable for them in IMSA because they would spend as much as, as a DPI and they can't beat a DPI. But there'd be nothing to stop a United Autosport car going to the States and, and cherry-picking some of the big big, race, big races. Oh, for sure. And, and looking at the... Uh, competitiveness of United Autosport when they've run in the Daytona 24-hour. Thinking back even a couple of years ago, they finished one spot off the podium in an LMP2 car running up against the DPIs. So they know how to be competitive. They know what it takes to race well. And on a personal note, Zach Brown still has the stars and stripes. You know, he wants to be winning in American competition. And what better races to win over here than Daytona, Sebring, and Petit? You get all three in this championship, and if you can run the same car as you can at Le Mans, win-win. Uh, Nick, do you think that the ACO, and particularly Pierre Fion and uh, Gerard Nouveau, will be disappointed that uh, that Zach is talking about McLaren with an LMDH rather than a hypercar? McLaren have always been keen to get a car that looks uh, at the top of the field that looks more like their road cars and, and in the, the full interview, and it's still there, go to, to Haggerty's major pages. You can see it and hear everything that, that, uh, that Zach said. But he's always been keen to be at the front, but, but not, apparently, with the, the spending that he feels would, would be required to develop 
uh, something to go up against Toyota's hypercar. Well, yeah, well, let's remember where is where was McLaren's sports car legend made, and that is over in America in the Can-Am Championship. So they have a lot more of a pull actually to uh, America on that front, and they probably do to the middle of France. Um, I think the yeah the the ACO obviously has managed to get a couple of hypercar entries within Peugeot and, and Toyota, and they're obviously going to make sure they've got. A, a reasonable um, chance of winning, but it's you know they, they, perhaps they've learned from what's happened over the last three or four years that you actually need to make sure your equivalent equivalent is quite equivalent to, to keep people interested. Midweek motorsport, where John has just forty eight seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Hour two of Midweek Motorsport Series fifteen, episode thirty eight. Uh, Nick Dimmel, Dimmel, Nick Dremel. Uh, Nick Damon will be back to he's uh, he's off on a route. Uh, Nick Damon will be back to talk about two back-to-back events for MotoGP at the Simoncelli Circuit, the World Superbikes as well at the weekend, and he'll be saying hooray uh, for Formula One, which returns. Uh, this weekend uh, we'll be looking forward to Le Mans 2021 with Richard Webb of Travel Travel Destinations uh, and coming next Jeremy Shaw on the special 30th anniversary inductees to Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com as promised we kick off hour two of Midweek Motorsport series 15 episode 38 I'd say uh, hello to Jeremy Shaw. Hello, Mr. Shaw. How are you? Well, I well, hello there. I am great. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sun is shining all as well. D- delighted to have you on the show and to be talking once again about Team USA because in such an uncertain year, first of all, congratulations in getting Team USA done again this year. And it's not just... I, f- I feel like this is a, like a, an, an advert in the UK... It's not just any Team USA. It's 30th anniversary Team USA. Congratulations, mate. Three decades. Uh, First of all, a thought about that. Because you could not have thought 30 years ago that what you started would A, still be going, and B, would have provided the stepping stone for so much great talent. Yeah, no, thank you very much indeed. It is is. It's strange to reflect on the fact it's been that long, to be honest. I mean, it seems to have flown past, that's for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously a few extra challenges this year. For a while, I wasn't even sure whether whether it was even going to bother trying to pursue it. I just didn't, far from anything else, I really didn't think it was kind of appropriate to go and be asking people people for money when so many people are struggling out there. But, um, you know, when, once the racing season finally got going... And then it became apparent that, you know, our regular two events in the UK, the Formula Ford Festival and the Walter Hayes Trophy were going to carry on. I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe I should look into it. So I, I canvassed a few of our supporters and they said the overwhelming response was, hell yes. Yeah. So, so here we go. <laughs> Before we talk about this year's alumni, um, looking back over the last 30 years, I mean, it's an extraordinary role of... of drivers that you've had through Team USA and I mean you've only got to look at the current IndyCar grid how many on the current IndyCar grid yeah four or five on on, on um, you know from time to time certainly yes so it's you know it's 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 cool to see it's been a sort of steady stream of of, uh, of drivers over the years it's, it has been yeah you know, it's been good I must admit and has your cool to see very cool to see and has your criteria of of choosing 
and I know it's not just you that does this, but you you initially search around for for the initial uh, uh, applicants, if you will. Um, has your criteria had to change down through the years, Jeremy, or is it very similar to what it was thirty years ago? No, really, it hasn't. It, really, I would say it hasn't changed. It's we're just looking for people who are sort of kind of standing out after their first year or two of racing. Um, and kind of you know, would benefit from a bit of a boost and an opportunity to uh, meet some people, do some do some cool races, um, and just gain the experience, really. So, no, I, I mean, the first year was a little bit different because that was a bit of a rush. But ever since then, no, the criteria are pretty, pretty much the same. Certainly, the selection process is a little bit different this year uh, because we, we, we normally start off with a kind of a, an interview process where we whittle down maybe 10 or 12 candidates down to five or six for a shootout. Well, I couldn't have the interview thing and I couldn't have the shootout either. So that's changed. But uh, no, not much else has, to be honest. In fairness, though, Jeremy, I know how important it's been always for you about how the candidates behave out of the car. And, And in some ways, you were ahead of the curve on that 30 years ago because the stopwatch was king. 30 years ago and and what sort of people there were behind the wheel for a lot of people didn't really matter but that's never been your mantra has it no it hasn't i mean you know in order to 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 make a career in motor racing um you've either got to have the money yourself or or have some some uh, means of raising the money so therefore uh performance out of the car is just as important as in it. If you're going to attract the sponsorship or the or the corporate support or whatever it might be to, to get yourself onto the ladder and then and then progressing up it. So no, I've always been big on that. And you know, and you look at all our all the winners over the years, and they're, they're all virtually without exception well-rounded individuals and you know and, and good-minded people. I, th- I mean, I think just the fact that so many of them over the years, from from the early years particularly, that that won scholarships, they would pay that back down the road by giving yeah. back towards the scholarship. And you know, I think that says a lot for the quality of the of the people, not just as race car drivers. This is an awful question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Has there been a standout or a couple of standouts in the 30 years that that have surprised even you after? they were chosen and went on into their career no no honestly i don't think they have really i mean i think it was apparent you know who who has the the, the ultimate skills to, to to get to the top uh, and those who you know are good but perhaps don't have have quite have it uh but you know looking back down the years no i mean if i look at you know people like joseph newgarden for example mm-hmm. or, or jimmy vassar and brian Herter right from the beginning I mean, they were clearly standout drivers you know later on people like andy lally dane cameron you know there's a there's aj Allmendinger. i mean there's, there's a big long string of them and uh, no i don't think anybody's really surprised me at all it was it was apparent right from the beginning. i mean this more recently for, for example you know joseph newgarden just stood out right, right away as being somebody who was very likely to make it, and and then more recently again, you know, uh, Oliver Askew again. I yep. think he's you know, those two are exceptional talents, and I think it was apparent right from the very very beginning. And certainly with Joseph, you feel even though he's achieved quite a lot, he's barely scratched the surface of his talent, has he? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I think you know, there's there's more doors perhaps will mm-hmm. open up for him as well in the future. You know, he's still. Uh, relatively young and uh, and just getting better and better all the time. I mean, you know, he he will acknowledge now he's a much better driver than he was when he won his first IndyCar Championship, you know, just two or three years ago. 
you mentioned that the traditional price in the last few years has been Formula Ford, three pedal cars, stick shift, heel and toe uh, at the Formula Ford Festival and uh, that's at Brands Hatch and at Silverstone, the Walter Hayes Trophy. Uh, and that can't happen without your sponsors and, and it has been a difficult year. So this year more than any, it's absolutely appropriate that you mention the, the, the people who have, have chipped in, Jeremy. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, dinosaurs are cars, aren't they, first of all, Formula Ford cars. But I tell you what, yeah, the skills uh, that you have, you, you can obtain by driving those cars, I think still are massively important. Totally you know, agree. It, it's, it's, old, it's, it's manual, you know, H-pattern shift gearbox. You don't use that really in, in any other forms of racing. But but it's a great skill to have, to be able to match the revs on the downshifts and be able to you know, shift gear uh, and, and use the throttle at the same time as the steering wheel, rather than the video games of paddle shifts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me because I think it's a skill to have. A little anecdote on that. Oliver Askew this year at Road America, he, he screwed up qualifying, started at the back, got hit from behind at the start, and it damaged the gearbox on the car. That's right. Which meant that he couldn't use all the regular electronics on the gearbox to help him shift gears. So he had to, to, to blip the throttle on the downshifts every shift through the race at Road America. And he said to me afterwards, he, he brought that up to me and said, look, I'm really grateful that I drove, drove those races in England. Uh, because that's that skill I learned in F1600 paid off when I got to Indy cars. Excellent. I thought it was rather interesting. But 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 to your question, yeah, I mean, just fantastic support we've had over the years. You know, Aero Sustainable Paint Technology, Doug Mockett and Company, the Road Racing Drivers Club, and particularly the SafestFast.com program. If you're not familiar with SafestFast.com, check it out. Any young drivers, it's a, it's a great resource there to move on uh, onto the racing ladder. Uh, Cooper Tire and Rubber Company, huge supporters. Uh, Chip Ganassi has been a big part of this all, over the years. Um, Sparco USA, uh, Bell Racing Helmets, you know, just tremendous people who've supported this program. And a couple of new ones this year. We've got uh, the Stellrec Company, Bob Stellrec, who uh, has been running cars and owning cars in IndyCar and Indy Lights for, for quite a few years. He's jumped on the program. And wonderful to have Tom Gloy, who a lot of people might not know the name of Tom Gloy, but back uh, back some years ago, he was a, a champion in, in Formula Ford, in, in Formula Atlantic. He'd raced Indy cars. Uh, he was an Atlantic champion, Trans Am champion as well. Uh, you know, had a lot of success in sports cars, and he's jumped on board with us this year as well. It's fabulous to see. Now, I, I don't know if this is particular for, for 30th anniversary or whether the three candidates, and it is three candidates this year, were, were just that good, but three uh, young drivers will be taking advantage of Team USA scholarships this year. Yeah, and again, you know, that's totally down to the sponsorships. Uh, it's also slightly skewed a little bit in that one of the winners, Simon Sykes, can't do the Festival in the Hayes um, because he's already committed it's for a good reason because he's already committed to a, a, a Cooper USF 2000 championship team for the final round of the season this year at St. Petersburg, which clashes with the festival. So he couldn't go to England, uh, but just a really good young guy who's you know, on his way up the ladder, I think. And uh, just to be able to give him some recognition. Um, I think is important for him as he moves his career forward. He doesn't come from you know, a moneyed background. So he won't be over in England, but he will be taking part in other 
uh, activities that we'll have over the winter, including a test with a, a Lamborghini Super Trofeo team, which is super exciting. And last year that came on board for the first time. Yes. So big thanks to uh, Chris Ward and every Lamborghini uh, Super Trofeo and you know, Automobili Lamborghini. They, the boys went to visit the factory last year in Italy. Again, that's something that can't happen this time around. But the test will happen with with the US Racetronics team at some stage. So it's good to be able to, to include yes. him in that. Uh, and Young Sykes drives for the wonderfully named Legacy Autosport and Mariotti yes. Autosport. Uh, Mariotti, the, the name... Uh, Marotti. Uh, it's uh, Marotti. No, uh, it's going to be Mariotti for me <laughs> because of what Andrew Marriott always got called by Barry yes. Sheen. No, Marotti, yes, I know it is. And exactly I said that right. deliberately for, for Andrew exactly. who had a, uh, a birthday uh, recently. So who were the two who were going to take advantage and... and come over and do some racing here in the UK. Yeah, the two are Bryce Aaron, who you've already you've already at least talked to. I'm not sure whether you met him. Uh, he's racing this year in Formula 4 1600 in the UK, 16 years of age. Great Ex- young kid. Extraordinary lad. Really well, good really, attitude. And super bright, you know, I I ask him or t- you know suggest he does something and it's done almost before you before you you, you talk about it. And uh, so he's been racing this year. It's been a weird year in the UK. You know, he was planning on doing the, the, the regular Avon British Formula Ford National Championship, which is normally six or seven rounds with you know three races a weekend. Well, I think it's down to three rounds this year, but he's had all sorts of other races as well. He'd been racing at Castle Coombe. He was in contention for the championship there, although he had to miss the final rounds last weekend. He's done some champion brands races. He's raced Alton Park. He's, he's Cadwell Park. He did as well. He had his first win. So, uh, you know, he's, he's been a real contender today. He was testing at, at Silverstone for the first time. And I gather from Cliff Dempsey already told me he went very quickly. So he's a good, he's a really fine young man. And the other is uh, Jackson Lee, who's uh, 18, just 18. He was 18 last week, actually, from Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, he has been racing in the F1600 series in the, U- in the US, which is actually what Bryce did last year. Mm. Um, and uh, he's, he's won some races there. Uh, he, he and Simon Sykes have been the two main contenders in that championship this season. They both won races. And uh, Jackson, again, I think has a, has a big future ahead of him. He's working really, really hard to make uh, make something happen here. Uh, and, um, you know, he's uh, he's a good young guy. Who's, he's, he's a bit, it'll be a, a steep learning curve for him when he comes over to the UK. But he's going to have plenty of testing time and, and lots of support from, from the whole team there at Low Dempsey Racing. So, yeah, he's, he's super excited about the uh, about the whole thing. We're, we'll get them on uh, sometime towards the end of uh, October when they've uh, maybe when they've done the festival and before the hears because they're back to back weekends again uh, this year uh, two questions regarding travel Jeremy I mean how confident are you that um, y- you'll be able uh, to get uh, the, the young man uh, who needs to come over over and are you coming over as well yeah, no, I won't be making a trip, unfortunately, which is which is uh, very disappointing. Certainly for our thirtieth year, I'd love to have been there, but uh, well, in fact, Jackson, he's going to be leaving this week, right, in order to uh, to make sure that he, he, he fulfills all the quarantine requirements in the UK. There is a kind of an, an elite athlete exemption that you can that you can get, and you, you perhaps you don't need to be there for that long, but yeah, rather than, and I think that's a process through which he would be eligible, but. Rather than take any risks, Good. he he is still in school, uh, but these days that you know, virtually all schools, including his one, are doing kind of distance learning in any case. So, yeah, Bryce is going through the same um, 
virtual school in while he's in the UK. He's still you know, studying at a US school, but doing everything online. So Jackson will do that when he gets over there. Um, and you know, rather than having any, any potential hiccups, he's going to get there in plenty of time and then he'll be able to do you know, a reasonable amount of testing, including a race at Silverstone before Brilliant. the uh, the festival. So, yeah, no, it's 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 all systems go. I'll have to check the dates. Uh, I, I, I certainly doubt that, we're, that either of those weekends are free weekends at that time of the year because everything <laughs> is, is pushed together. But if not, I might dig out my Team USA T-shirt and go and, uh, go and shout for them. But we'll get them on the, uh, on the show, certainly at some stage in the future. Uh, Jeremy, brilliant work again, sir. And, you know, I, I, I have never ceased to be amazed by how you've kept this going for the amount of time. And over the last 30 years, you've done great work for American motorsport. And, and you as an expat Brit, of course. So may it, long may it continue. Long may it continue. I will drink to that. Thank you very much indeed for all your constant support and encouragement. Jeremy Shaw joining us live here on Midweek Motorsport Series uh, eight, uh, series 15, episode uh, number 38. Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, is Nick Damon still with us? I am. Excellent. Because uh, you know what this means we're going to do, don't you? Tell we... me. Oh, no. We're going to do bikes. Excellent. Oh. Well, I was peaking too soon then, didn't I? All of them were in action at the weekend, I believe. Yeah, every single bike in the world was in action, it's true. Actually, that's not no, true. There were no bikes not being used. No, that's, mine. that's not true. Neither yours nor mine were being used. Well, they <laughs> won't be being used by you. You don't... You don't, well, they don't think they go out on their own, do you? I'm thinking Eve <laughs> might have uh, gone I for a ride. I wonder, why, I wonder why I had a haircut on Thursday. Mm, exactly. Exactly. Uh, two weekends of MotoGP at the Marco Simoncelli circuit near Rimini, and we didn't really have time to talk about the first weekend, but you can sort of sum it all up uh, in in one go with that, because at the first round it was it was all about uh, it was all about Valentino Rossi. First time we'd had uh, fans in, and every single one of them were wearing yellow, and and that obviously paid off with Valle with his new special helmet. Yes, um, using the blue pill to keep him going fast. Yeah, it was uh, the first one um, at uh, uh, Misano was very much a Yamaha benefit, wasn't it? We heard a Yamaha things were going quite well. Well, we could stay on it, and we saw a new winner in the VR46 supported uh, one of his te- one of his uh, proteges, Franco Morbidelli, in the Petronas, who would likely be his teammate next year. He won his first race. Uh, and then I think, uh, unfortunately, um, Valet uh, faded to fourth, so he didn't actually get his podium. But qualified on Paul, which he t- typically doesn't do. Yes, he qualified really, really well. I think, I think he actually didn't qualify on Paul. I think he qualified third or third fourth. The, yes, he was on the front row. On yeah, pole. He was the fastest in a couple of practice sessions, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Vignales qualified on Paul and didn't do anything, really. He just drifted backwards. Uh, and then he, but he put that all right in uh, Misano too at the weekend, where he won um, for, won quite convincingly. Because a lot of people fell off. It was a big falling off or breaking down. I mean, Valet fell off. Uh, Bagnaia fell off from the lead. Um, Jack Miller stopped. Or I couldn't see the accident. Jack Miller, and they, they both Jack Miller and Francesco Bagnaia have blamed discarded tear offs for why they fell off. So obviously, discarded really? tear off is the MotoGP equivalent of a banana skin. I slipped on a frog. Uh, yeah. What what's what's actually been intriguing to me with these double headers for MotoGP? Remember, they only have one race per weekend, but. 
back-to-back weekends at the same track as being the order of the day, like much motorsport, is um, you see the first race and you go, okay, fine, that, you know, that, so now I know how it's going. Oh, second race, completely different. Completely different. Now, I know the track gets rubbered in. Um, well, also, John, they had a test day, didn't they? They had, they yes. had an actual test in between. Um, so they've had a lot of running at... at uh, it was the KTMs who just couldn't get a hand on the track whatsoever in the first race, and they were slightly better in the second race. Uh, Andrea De Vizioso hated both of them because he doesn't like the rear tyre um, and score finished, but scored poorly in both. And, and you sit there, and the championship is being led after a million rounds by Andrea De, 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 De Vizioso. Yeah. yeah, I got it right the first time. You did? Uh, he's, only got, he's only got 84 points. That, yeah. that's how you, that's how you, basically, that's, what, that's less than Mark Marquez was scoring four races. Yeah. Um, by you know, 16. And what's uh, gone wrong with Quattararo? Because, you know, everybody, we, we thought that it was a bit of a free kick for him with Marquez, Mark Marquez, not being around. Come to Alex Marquez in a moment. But he, he hasn't, in the last couple of rounds, he just hasn't been able to find the pace on the Yamaha. No, and he, he made a mistake, didn't he, in the, in the uh, weekend and ended up um, being awarded a long lap penalty he didn't take. So he got a... Uh, he got a oh, yeah, going off the track, yeah. And then he ended up, ended up going from third to fourth. But yeah, he had, he had, obviously, the previous race, he had a nightmare falling off twice. Um, but yeah, he's not... He, after getting 50 out of 50 in the first two races, he's only managed to score another 33 points. And um, doesn't seem... He's just been out of form, but it's, you know, he keeps saying he's second year and this, that and the other. Maverick Vignales has been awful till this weekend it's still got 83 points in fact the video has 84 quite a 83 vinales has 83 as well uh Jan Mir, who's been just racking up the, the podiums is 80 mm. so there's four of them with four points and then you've got morbidelli on 64 miller on 64 uh takahaki who is the leading uh, honda rider He's got 63 points, just really scored by finishing the races about sixth yeah. all the time. <laughs> if one person has developed and benefited from these double headers, I think it is Alex Marquez. And he seemed to really, and I'm, I'm sorry to use a cliche, but he really seemed to turn a corner uh, hey. between, between these two races, which has been a bit of a problem for the Hondas because they've not been that nimble. Um, but, but all of that practice and then another race in the same place he looks a lot more comfortable on the bike, I think. Now, obviously, we move on to another track next. But but a bit of confidence can do wondrous things, can't it? Yeah, but at the end of the day, John, he's still only got 24 points. Um, and he's, you know, not really doing anything that make you think that Honda's decision to drop him before he'd even run a race was a wrong one. Right. Um, and have we uh, got any closer to... Uh, sorting out who's going where. Is there any seats left? Because, I mean, it's, a, it's been a bizarre year. Most of the seats for next year, um, even the ones that were changing, and we said how few people had contracts for next year. But most of those seats have already been changed and people already know if they're moving. Yeah, and they are, and they are saying that finally Valentina has signed his contract and it will be announced soon with the, the Petronas team. Because there was a sniffle that Dobby might go there because Dobby currently doesn't have a ride of any sort for next year despite leading the world championship. He could be world champion. He could win the world championship this year and not have a ride for next year. It really depends on how often they use this new rear tyre that he hates. Uh, that'll be the, the or, or whether he get his head around it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. When you, when, you, when you lose your marquee rider... You have this situation where they're, they're all no, no one has emerged from the pack, 
and we are every weekend we've no idea who's going to win um which is great but it, it you know the, without the talisman it's it's sometimes it just loses a little bit i think and 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 oddly even though he's been monopolizing it for the last several years and in many ways making it boring you begin to miss him a bit i think do you think oh i, I think, think it's so. been brilliant well yes but I, do you not feel that it's it's turned into who makes the least mistakes rather than who go, who rides the best I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that because they all look a bit more human than the alien that is Mark Marquez. And well, the we are we, we are now down to zero aliens. Obviously, um, Rossi is no longer an alien. Well, he's an old man, he's alien for forty-one, but not an alien for a twenty-five-year-old. Mm. Um, so yeah, that purple patch when we had you know Pedroza you know, and Stoner and. Uh, Lorenzo and uh, Rossi, and then that, obviously the, the gradual changeover that came from there. There was seven or eight years where we had three or four. Uh, it's gone, and we've now got a selection of very good riders, but that's it. We've still got a couple of double headers later on the season. 18th and 25th of October is at Aragon, uh, and then we've got the Grand Prix of. Uh, uh, by the way, that's the Grand Premier Liquamoli de Tervel and the Grand Premier Michelin de Aragon. Uh, and then we've got a couple at Ricardo Tormo. Uh, back to back before we finish in Portugal. Finishing in Portugal is going to be unbelievable on the resurfaced track, of course. There, uh, before that, Le Mans France, uh, with 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 we here, there will be some fans there. That's the plan at the moment, and Quateraro will uh, be lauded as a minor deity. But before that, next weekend or this weekend coming, should I say, they're going to Circuit of Catalonia in. Spain, um, which coincidentally, yes, was, was where nice World, World, World Superbikes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know World Superbikes have four races left, and none of them are in Spain? Not after this. Well, did you also know? Uh, and this this is what confused Nick and I whilst we were having a slightly tired conversation on Sunday. We were talking across purposes, and we were talking about bikes at, at Catalonia, and. Nick was saying, oh, yeah, yeah, they always go there. I said, I don't think they go there. And, of course, I was talking about World Superbikes because, unbelievably, Nick, World Superbikes haven't been to Catalonia before. Yeah, they, they, don't, they don't race there, which was a, a massive surprise to me when, when I was watching the... Uh, we were having two completely separate Home conversations. and Aragon and... Yes, exactly. Uh, why would they Catalonia need to? being... Because it's in Spain. Um, yeah, and it hadn't been there. Don't and, say and that to they, anybody they who lives in Catalonia. Just what I was going to say to it as well. And it was a yeah, it was it was, it was, it was a pretty uh, interesting set of races. I think really. I mean, the Can first I race. Start by pretty... talking about um, Top Rack Razgatlioglu. Uh, yes, because you said the name, so you can. Yes, he is Top now Razgatlioglu. Almost, John. He's now not able to win the championship. Um, we had some bad luck this weekend. He had some very bad luck. Tell us about it. Uh, well, he um, he, felt he had an accident in morning warm-up on Sunday, oh. which ruled him out of both the races, wasn't it? And he also, he was punted in the first race. He was um, his team. I think Michael van der Mark sort of ran into him and knocked him back nine positions. So it wasn't a good combination of races. So he had one where he was compromised by his teammate. Uh, and then uh, two he didn't take part in, and the Honda was sorry. The Yamaha was pretty competitive this weekend. Um, you know, so much so that it managed to, the the, uh, the unheralded American, whose name is just drifting from my face at the moment, uh, Garrett Gerloff. Oh, um, well done! He got on the podium. A, um, podium, and deservedly so. 
Uh, he beat he beat Johnny Ray, who was in who was in just staying ahead of Scott Redding mode yeah. uh, in that final race, which was won by Chaz Davis. So Chaz Davis, who's been stung into action by 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 um, Rinaldi's uh, comebacks, has only there's only sorry moved to prominence because there's only one uh, works Ducati seat. He suddenly realised he might be losing it, so he suddenly uh, put a much better performance as uh, uh, Rinaldi had some tyre issues. He'd been a little bit aggressive on the uh, the tyre choice, but uh, yeah. So, so Johnny Ray won the first one. He was second in Super Pole, and he uh, was fourth. And then the winner of Super Pole was Michael van der Mark, and the winner of the third race was Chaz Davis. So a mixed bag, but the net result was that Johnny Lee leaves there with a 51 point lead, which is just shy of a weekend. The weekend maximum being 62. And where are they off to? Next and when? Uh, they are off. I think it's in France to go to next. Oh, yeah. So Mangy they're off to Mangicouas, are they? Yes. And they only have two rounds left, or six races left. So, the, the, so and two it's of those races are Super doing... Poles, obviously, which don't get full points. You only get half points for the Super Pole race. That's it. So Johnny only needs to score about another 70 points, assuming Scott will be uh, top of the whole tree of us. They're going to uh, Estoril at the end because that will be a bit of a, a, an advantage to Scott because, of course, the MotoGP have run at Estoril again, whereas World Superbikes haven't. But this and next it won't round, be all over main... before they get there as well, which is no. uh, an important. So, so let me get. Well, so, so let me get this right. If Scott Redding doesn't finish, I suppose it could be yes. So let me get this right. Uh, World Superbikes were at. Catalonia last weekend and MotoGP are there this weekend. Mm-hmm. Then MotoGP go to France, albeit I presume that's at Le Mans. Yes, it is. Right. Le Mans play Maycourt. Right, okay. And then World Superbikes then go to Estoril, followed the next week by MotoGP. No, MotoGP are going to Portimao. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, so same country... Di- right, so they're playing same country uh, for the, f- the last couple of rounds. Same country, different circuit. Okay. It's a month later, not a week later. Uh, 16th to 18th of October versus 24th of October, didn't we, say? No, 22nd of November. So oh, 22nd of November, you're right. Absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, so, the, um, yeah, so there's only six more races, two rounds, and it'll be finished So by- are World Superbikes at Estoril before it's been resurfaced, or has it already been done? Uh, no, Estoril's not being resurfaced. Not, it's Portimao oh, sorry, no, it's I've got I've got my Portuguese circuits mixed up. I you do want have. to go. I I would actually quite like to go to Portimao to watch MotoGP or Formula One, and I would love to go to Estoril to watch World Superbikes. Love it. You're probably busy it. all of those weekends, though, aren't you? And uh, almost certainly. Yes. <laughs> I, I might be too ill to go to the studio. I'd have to come and quarantine in Portugal. Oh, yeah, that's a good point there. Yeah. Yeah. It's well known for having fresh air. It's good for you. You go surfing with Antonio Felix Costa. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Road trip on the bikes, Nick, I think. That sounds like a reality show. All there. That's just surfing with Antonio Felix Costa. <laughs> well, better than my summer car. <laughs> well, who knows? We, we, we were told not to play it on, like, on air, that's for sure. Yeah, indeed so. All right, so uh, that's Nick Damon. Uh, he'll be back in a little while. Hang on, there's with more some... bikes. Oh, there's more bikes. More right. bikes. Right. Okay. Because uh, who was at Alton Park at the weekend, Nick? Obviously right. is, not you. Is, was, it pretty, was it British Superbikes? It, it was, was, yes. yes. Right. That is literally the limit of my knowledge about what happened. Because right. there was a very big race on, and I came back and watched... Uh, four motorcycle races, um, and, and then couldn't if I'm watch really another honest, three. 
I hadn't got them on tape and I couldn't find them. So I watched I watched all the MotoGP's two and three, uh, plus the V8 supercars. Well, uh, yes, you didn't watch a... the V8 supercars though, because uh, Eve told me that you fell asleep in front of the V8 supercars. Only a, only in the second one where nothing happened, and I saw the first lap and Scott the last McLaughlin lap. Scott McLaughlin won, didn't he? There you go. So you know. Um, so there you go. Uh, I was a, I was a bit. It was a, it was a talent bend, and and now I understand why people say it's a great track to qualify on, but it doesn't race. It's another Mugello. Um There's not enough slow corners. They're all quick corners, and it's it, it is a real issue. A beautiful first time I've seen racing there. Beautiful circuit, fabulous, great facilities, uh, fabulous pit lane. Looks. Uh, Puts me in mind of a couple of other places that I've been to. Looks front straight. Looks a bit like pit, pits. Look a bit like Bathurst actually, but it, it, there's just not enough places to to make a difference and and pass. So what happened at Alton Park then? The uh, sun shone. The sun did shine. It's a lovely place, Alton Park. Jason O'Halloran uh, on the cameras Yamaha was the winner of race one with Christian Eden second uh, and Danny Bucken third. Race two. Uh, was exactly the same, top three, and race three was Which was raced in beautiful light, beautiful evening light, yes, really long shadows. Down. It was it looked fab. Music all around. I did see a bit it of that. It was a quarter to five in the evening, on a Sunday evening uh, in brilliant. September. The uh, sun sort of just going through the trees, beautiful. Dappled light. Yes. Uh, Josh Brooks was the winner of that one. Uh, Christian Eden was still second, second in all three races over the weekend. And Lee Jackson finished third in that one. Um, so that basically Who leads you. the championship now then? Well, I'm just about to tell you that. All right. Uh, because it's been such an up and down season that there are only two points separating the top two riders. Glenn Irwin is uh, leading, Jason O'Halloran is second, and then there's a further eight points back to Josh Brooks, uh, a further two points to Christian Eden, Tommy Bridewell is uh, on 134, and Tara McKenzie is on 125. And if this was a normal BSB season, uh, they'd then uh, reset the points at this point and... uh, start doing their playoffs but they're not but, going to do that this not. year they're just doing a straight old-fashioned whoever scores the most wins the championship correct yeah hmm. who'd have thunk it six more oh, races well, to go in the bsb right uh next one is on the 3rd and 4th of october at donnington park i think we should have curry on to give us a uh, a bit of a rundown of of the season so far as we're getting into the She hasn't been concentrating part. as closely on it this year. Ah, uh, really. I, I enjoyed her uh, season, pre-season uh, and reviews. Uh, are you listening to Midweek Motorsport? It is uh, Series 15, Episode 38. Nick will be back with Formula 1 in a moment. But now we're going to go back to Le Mans, aren't we, Tim? In a way, because it's all incorporated within calendar news. Excellent. I was waiting for big cheer there. Hurrah! Calendar news. You do like a good calendar, don't you? Uh, The calendar for the 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship has been unveiled, and it does include the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, But it starts in uh, Florida with the 1,000 Miles of Sebring on the 19th of March. and before Well, it might. It might. Yes, subject to confirmation. I mean, this is all provisional. 
it's possible that all six or five or four or three or two or none of these races could actually take place. Well, and already Gerard Naveau has said that they have a a European venue uh, standing by. Yes. Yeah, in case Sebring can't happen. So, so there's a there's the prologue at Sebring the week before the weekend before the yes combined the event before with the Imsa. Friday where the thousand miles is. Yeah, correct. Uh, round two in May is the six hours of Spa Francorchamps. Uh, we're going to skip round three because we need to talk about that in more detail in a moment. Uh, round yep. four on the 18th of July is the six hours of Monza. Yeah. Round five on the 26th of September is the six hours of Fuji. Notice the big gap there. It takes a long time to get to Fuji. Not by ship it does, and that's how everything's being moved this year. And then eight weeks after that is round six, which is the six hours of Bahrain. No Silverstone. Six hours of Bahrain. Yes, I know. I know. It's back to six back hours. Back to six after two seasons of it being an eight-hour race. And one of it being a four. Um, uh, yes, no Silverstone. Apparently, what I hear on the grapevine, Nick, is that they wanted an August date, which, strangely enough, happens to belong to two-wheeled uh, events at Silverstone. Yeah, I mean, there's always rumours and counter-rumours, but, you know, there's a, there's a backup European date. I wonder where that might be. Yeah, all right. March at Silverstone might uh, be a bit... Happened before, and we had to get the thermals on and, we, and dodge the uh, the showers of snow. Yes. And also, it, Silverstone being a lot close to Spa means they don't have to have it on that same weekend. No, that's very true. That is very true, Tim, and that's actually a point that I've not heard raised before. Excellent. Excellent thought. What I have heard from the teams that I've spoken to is uh, dropping down to six rounds has, which includes Le Mans, obviously, which we'll talk about in a second, has saved probably somewhere in the region of a couple of million euros. Yes. That's not insignificant, Nick, That's is it? That's a lot of budget to save when you're yeah. probably spending, excluding think- Le Mans, six or seven million euros to save two it's- million euros is a big saving. It's more than paid for Le Mans put it that way because you normally it, depending on what car you're running it'll cost you about 1.1 to 1.6 or 7 million to do them on uh, obviously so, this whole calendar is yet to be ratified by the FIA World Motorsport Council yeah uh, who are not meeting to discuss this until next month uh, and they're doing it by zoom one presumes or something similar they're probably a Microsoft Teams type organisation aren't they oh really uh, go on Round three of the championship takes place on the 12th and 13th of June, and that is the 24 hours of Le Mans, uh, for which tickets are available and camping is available. And here to explain more about that from Travel Destinations is Richard Webb. I think the first thing to say is that nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody knows what things are going to look like in 2020. June 2021 when we get there but we want to be trackside we know the fans want to be trackside and we want to be there with the with the fans so we're doing our utmost and we will continue to do our utmost to be there where there is a will there is a way and we are working extremely hard behind the scenes um, to ensure that everything goes ahead um, as much as we're in control of um, for next year. We've got 
a lot of um, customers who are uh, very loyal and we really appreciate that. And we're staying in communication with them and doing everything that we can. So we're fast forwarding to Le Mans 2021 and yeah, full speed ahead. What's the offering likely to be, Richard? Um, are you able to say that at the moment with any degree of confidence? You know, Porsche Curves, Campsite, Flexitels, the usual things that we see in your very high quality brochures and on the website at www.lemonsrace.com. As far as the contracts and everything else, they're, they're in place. Everything is, you know, as far as we can do at this stage, it's it's there. The brochure is in production, literally at this moment. It's um, a work in progress. It, it will be with us, hopefully, by the end of this month and going out to customers. It's all as much as we can do at this stage. You know, like we say, nobody knows 100%, but we will be doing our utmost okay. to make it a normal event, as, as normal as possible in the in the, the conditions that we find ourselves in June next year in any other year, you would be taking bookings on the Monday and the Tuesday after Le Mans had finished, so over the middle of June. We're in September, so we're not starting from zero here. We're not even probably where you would be in any other September. As you rightly say, we would normally go on sale the day after the race. And indeed, the day after the race this year in September, we were making new bookings and things, which is great. And we really appreciate those people coming coming and booking with us. But the fact is, we were actually on sale in June of this year, because that's when all our contracts start. So we were making bookings, um, new bookings from June this year. So not only have we got a situation now where a lot of our customers and i'm talking in high percentages 80 to 90 percent in in many cases of people who have transferred their booking from 2020 when they were advised they wouldn't be able to go they've transferred it to 2021 which is brilliant in addition we've got new bookings that we've been making since june this year so available capacity going forward is less than it would be in a normal September, let's say that. I know that there's some people, Richard, who quite often, and you know this as well because you'll see the trends, there'll be a lot of people who normally, traditionally, would wait till after Christmas or the start of the following year and say, right, okay, now I'll plan. I think that would still be possible for 2021 and and a lot of people want to go in 2021. But what I'm hearing between the lines from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is if you do that... Travel destinations will help you out, but there's likely to be far less choice. Yeah, and they're they're the people that I'm kind of concerned of concerned for for them at the moment. It's it's you know everybody has a, a calendar, everybody has a way of doing things, and there are plenty of people who um, might be booking with other agencies, not just travel destinations, that, and that's fine. But what we're what we're concerned about and we're just trying to let people know is that this is not a normal year there is a lot of advanced bookings and if you're going to wait till after christmas to book and that is fine because you know some people will make that decision there may not be the usual amount of availability come that time than they would be normally because of this transference because of the the late race this year there is a lot of a lot of bookings in the system already now as far as our private campsites and things are concerned and the flexitel village and our glamping tents the event tents there are a finite number of those and 
we usually sell out anyway, but it would usually sell out maybe in the spring. I am would anticipate that some of those will sell out a lot earlier. Yeah. Um, and those, those are the people we don't want to let anybody down. So we want to try and get that message to people that it's, it's um, a good time to book, get the availability that you want and book now. We are hearing from a number of people. In, in fact, before the race even, uh, Maison Blanche, for example, um, the ACO telling people that the Maison Blanche is, is already full for 2021. Uh, and one of our listeners saying, how can that be? Surely people were not given spots for next year instead of cancelling from the ACO. I thought they were getting their money back or a credit for next year rather than moving their bookings. Well, that's not necessarily the case, is it, Richard? Well... I haven't heard anything official about specific campsites from the ACO. I mean, the ACO obviously have been working on this year's event and they've been and then at the moment probably recovering from the exertions of doing so. So I don't believe their ticket office is open right now, but it will be, I'm sure, in the very near future. I can't speak on behalf of the ACO um, and would never dream of doing so. What I do know is that because of the number of people that were rolling bookings over, you know, certainly Travel Destinations has, you know, we're guaranteed a certain amount of space in, in, in every campsite at Le Mans because of, we're an official agent of the ACO. So our allocation... And that includes the public campsites is what, is what we're Maison saying. Maison Blanche, Tetra Rouge, yeah, Blue, yeah. Balloon Nord, Blue, all of them, basically. So, so what's happened so, to your allocation for 2021? Well, our allocations, because we've been rolled over or we're rolling things over, a lot of those campsites are either sold out or selling out. Um, You know, we could be down to single figures. Um, Now, these are always in a state of flux because, you know, people book and they change the numbers in their party or they, you know, so so things do come back available again and then disappear again. Um, But the, you know, the vast majority I can convert, you know, I I will happily say the, the the most popular campsites, which tend to be Maison Blanche, Who, Tetra Rouge, a lot of that space in, certainly from our allocation, has been retained from previous year. And Rich, what sort of percentage then in those public campsites are dealt with directly by the ACO and are uh, are done with official agents like yourselves? To be honest, the ACO have never published that number. Every agency has a different contract and every agency has different numbers. Right. So I wouldn't be able to tell you an exact percentage of what ones are out, you know, what ones are with agencies and what ones aren't. So, so it basically what we're saying is whatever you think, don't rely on your first choice being available, whether you're booking direct with the ACO or with an agent, uh, including you know travel destinations. If you're interested, to sum all of this up, if you're interested in going 2021, sit down, talk about it with your mates, get your party together, even if you have to do it socially distanced at the moment, and start making <laughs> those decisions now. Uh, yeah, exactly. The 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 pe- people need to be aware that if they haven't got something held already, then they ought to be looking. And it's only deposits at this stage, so it's possible to get something held, something booked, something guaranteed, money protected, and they should do so sooner rather than later. People will accuse me, I'm sure, of of scaremongering, but you know I can only say what's in front of me of and what I, what I can see as far as travel destinations. So we're we're out there and letting you know how it is. There is a there is a point that has to be brought up though, 
uh, Richard, mm-hmm. and we saw a lot of tweets uh, at uh, hashtag Haggerty RLM about people mm-hmm. who weren't there and who were still fighting with various companies, uh, not travel destinations, and I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything, and I know you're far too much of a pro uh, to cast any aspersions. People who haven't had money back or haven't had all of their money back for trips or tickets or, or camping or whatever for this year's event, and, and they were a bit disappointed with that. That might put people off. Can you book with confidence with travel destinations? Confidence is key. I can only speak from obviously about travel destinations, but basically we've got different insurances and things in place that enable us to do what we do. So, for example, um, I'm aware that there are some agencies who are struggling and they may not be back there um, next year. That's um, just the way of the world at the moment. However, travel destinations are members of ABTA. Um, we've always been going on about this since the year dot. We're members of ABTA. We hold an Atoll license. Um, what that means ultimately is even if travel destinations, and I'm not suggesting we are, if travel destinations was to become insolvent between now and next year, all our customers' monies are protected and they would get a refund if those circumstances were to happen. So that's number one. Not, uh, not many, if, if any, other companies have that protection. Number two, we have a refund guarantee. So it's part of the package travel regulations that anybody purchasing through travel destinations, were the event not to go ahead or go ahead again behind closed doors, people who had bought tickets or put deposits down would be entitled to their money back. Now, again, there may be some people that want to transfer forward to 2022, and that's brilliant. And we will we act, we give people the options to do whatever suits them best. Um, and we know a lot of customers just want to go to Le Mans regardless. But these insurances are in place. So there is a refund guarantee. There is insolvency protection where we do we do the right thing. Otherwise, we would be kicked out of the organizations that we are part of. Um, so it's important that people understand and they can book with confidence knowing that, yes, we're getting what they want and B, their money is safe. And that is the that is the way that travel destinations work and will continue to. So refund guarantee is the key there and booking with confidence. Time to plug the website and the phone numbers. Of course. So for everything Le Mans, Le Mans 24 and Le Mans Classic, yeah. um, best website is um, www.lemonsrace.com. Um for any other events, Nürburgring, Sebring, anything else like that, then traveldestinations.co.uk. But ultimately, we'd love to speak to you. Um, the team is here. The team is available. So the best phone number is plus 44 if you're outside of, uh, the, of the UK. Um, then 1707 329988 so 01707329988 if you're inside the UK and we're available and happy to chat and advise if you're not sure ask us uh Richard Webb from Travel Destinations Nick Damon's still with us hello <laughs> for Formula 1 hooray yeah who knew it's going to happen there but hooray anyway you know that you were talking about cheer earlier on with hello uh, you know that your one of your hoorays has been made into. A I know. I, I, I did. I have. Uh, I heard the MP3 of it, and I uh, sounded beautifully isolated. That's yeah, really it was good. very nice. Very nicely done. Uh, there was no Formula One at the weekend, but there will be this weekend. Yes, but yes. the last of Formula One last weekend, 
does mean you get the usual thing that happens when there's a Formula One news vacuum. And what is that? Somebody with a big mouth talks a load of nonsense. And whose turn was it this week? Eddie Jordan. Eddie Jordan. He's had a right go this week. Honestly. Oh, Oh, he's come up with about a million silly things. Shall we start with Lewis Hamilton? uh, He said Lewis Hamilton should go to the Red Bull. Yes. What? I don't know what. I don't know why. Do you know what? It was such a ridiculous thing. I didn't even read the article. It was like, oh, Eddie. Is this on the basis of, you know, as we've said before, that, you know, champions, real champions have to go to teams that aren't any good and turn them around or something like that? Is that on that basis? Or? I don't know. Like why would it? Well, he's, he's not going to go. Right, first of all, Eddie, love you a bit. Love you. But he's not going to go there while Max is there anyway. Max wouldn't have him. No. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. It, there was a couple of other. He 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 broke the story that uh, Ineos were going to buy um, Mercedes. The only problem is Ineos aren't going to buy Mercedes. What? When you, when you say Mercedes, you mean AMG Rob. Patronas? Yes. Sorry, we're in the F1 show at this point now. Mercedes means the F1 team. It doesn't mean the massive conglomerate who build road cars. Okay. I was just. I just wanted to get that sorted. For those who don't know, Ineos uh, are a huge. Haven't we done this recently? A huge. Clomerate, who've taken over um, Team Sky, which are now Ineos Grenadiers. The Grenadier is a uh, Land Rover Defender stroke G-Wagon alike uh, that's named after the pub in London where it was conceived and designed on the back of a beer mat. It looks great, and I want one. And we're trying to get one for a long-termer and uh, and put some miles on it and try and drive it to destruction. Um, (laughs) But... But apparently they're not buying um, AMG, Mercedes, Petronas, are they? No, they're not doing that. There's a great list of things they aren't doing that Eddie said they are doing. It's kind of like, effectively, did Eddie say it? Right, that's not happening. Eddie, for a while, um, Eddie, Eddie likes to think he's broken a great number of stories, but he's done that by making up an infinitesimally large number of other stories. And so sheerly by the rule of luck, some of them have happened true because effectively, really, you know, it's like if you're on a roulette table and you put your chip on every single number, one of them comes up. Yeah, true. Um, and, and that seems to be Eddie's kind of concept. But, you know, it has, as Tim rightly puts it, managed to fill a very empty news week for a vast number of Internet sites. Vacuous, uh, vacuous news in a news vacuum. Yes. Yes. Let's Absolutely. move on to our next non-story. Okay. Starts with a quote. I'm very Excellent. excited. I think we made the right choice. Uh, right. That's going to be a hard one, really, because it could be anybody who's, who's, who's basically something obvious has happened, uh, but they're trying to make out it was a big decision. Somebody who's changed their engine re- uh, supplier? No. Someone who's changed his drivers. Uh, it's a team manager. Team manager who's changed his drivers? One of his drivers. Oh, he can't change the other one. Renault? Oh, no, no, it's Tracing Point. It's going to be Tracing Point, isn't it? It's Matteo Binotto. He Ah. goes on to say, I'm very pleased with Carlos joining the team. Very pleased. Very pleased, that's right, because he'll be um, able to do things that Seb can't, like, not look completely off with it, the whole thing, and actually have some sort of motivation, you mean? This could be the end of Carlos Sainz's career. No, or, or, and I listen, you know I've got a lot of time for Carlos Sainz. Um, yeah. And I think 
I think he's much better than any than most people have given him credit for because he hasn't always been in the in the most obvious teams. Way, he'd be much better than Gasly was last year and much better than Alpine is this year if he was in the Red Bull. I agree. And they shouldn't have dropped him. I know they were falling out there was a falling out with their team Yoss, but that's not a reason to to lose sight of anything. But yeah, I mean, I mean Do you know what's the other side of that as well, Nick? Sorry to interrupt. Um I think I think Max would have been better as well, if I'm honest. I would have been better. Well, the um, car would have been better. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, well, that's yeah. It. I yeah, I think I said before. I think that Red Bull need. To, is it Red Bull are going to be a top team? They need to start looking outside of their youth program. And the throwaway comment last a week or so ago that um, AlphaTauri are no longer a junior team but a sister team uh, kind of gives you a chance to do that. Because you stop saying it's a junior team, you stop having to promote people from within it. You're saying they're an entity in their own right. Mm-hmm. So perhaps they've noticed that's an error as well. And Stefano Domenicali is going to be the new F1 boss, Nick. Yes, he hasn't. Apparently, he hasn't got a grow massive moustache either. It's it's purely taking over the role, not the iconic look under of a nasal face fuzz. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Chase Carey's done what three and a half years, um, nearly four. There are, you know, as a, with a lot of these kind of venture capitalists, and uh, they they move on and move around the projects. So there's been a, a very high profile one for Case. He's managed to do some quite positive things. He's managed to get the Concord Agreement sorted out. They've managed to uh, move the sport into a more uh, egalitarian situation it was under Bernie Eccleston. They've not completely chased the dollar the whole time. Um, though obviously that was always in the background. Um, yeah, so I think he's done reasonably well uh, because it was in quite a shocking state when he took over because Bernie had effectively just tried to maximise the revenue with no interest whatsoever in, in helping uh, the past, present or future, to be honest. Is Domenicardi so going to be a controversial choice, though? Well, I don't know. I mean, apparently these days you want to be in a senior, a senior part of... Uh, of anything to do with F1 or, or the FIA, you have to have worked for Ferrari in the 90s, don't you, really? you got Ross Braun, him, and uh, Jean Tot now as a triumvirate at the top. Though, of course, um, Jean's only there for another year or so, isn't he, because he isn't going to stand for re-election. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure Rory Byrne will be long to design the posters pretty soon. And, uh, you know, they would have had Nigel Stepney. Obviously, that's not possible anymore. So, you know, who's left? <laughs> uh, we're in because Sochi I... this weekend, Nick. I know it is. It is. If look, if Valtteri Bottas is not is going to win anywhere, it's going to be here. He's good at Sochi. Always has been. You know, he should have won. He had to. He actually had to to, to do a do a Rubens Barrichello and let Hamilton through a couple of years ago, didn't he? What, so, what's almost unique this about is the Sochi? One. Almost totally unique. It no, uh, goes round and uh, goes round an Olympic village. Uh, no, that would make that's it not, unique. That's not the answer on the on the card no. he's looking for. Uh, it's one of the few races this season to be on its original date. Oh, and supposedly people are going to turn up as well, aren't they? they 30,000 tickets they've sold or something, or 25,000 tickets. Um, so, yeah. And the tyres? I'm sure. And the tyres are going to be... It's, quite, it's not a very brazen circuit. It's not, it's not a very good circuit, to be honest. Um, you know, you aren't going to get much action there unless there's a there's a someone who's, who's out of position. Um, you know... It's, it's the not a great C3, track. C4 and C5. Right. I would have gone soft. The soft, softer and circuit. softest. Mm. Soft, yeah. soft, softer and a big old Citroen. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, you know, it, it is a chance for uh, for Valtteri to, to perhaps get one back. But the um, point I didn't make last week, that if 
Valtteri has to start winning now because if he wins every single race and gets fastest lap at every single race, if Hamilton is second, he only wins by one point. Ah. So if we assume that the reliability is okay, then he actually has to start. If he doesn't start winning soon, it it really is all over, even though, of course, it is all over. It's all over. There's only one thing that can can stop Lewis, and that's a positive test. That's the only thing. Oh. Or somebody running into him. No, even that won't stop him. That's just one race. He's got two and a bit races in hand, and he's much better. Mm. Uh, Who was papped yesterday and where? Could be anybody, don't know. It's Fernando Alonso. Oh, yesterday? Sorry, the day before yesterday. Yes. I thought it was was the end of last week. Okay, anyway. Uh, He was at Renault, wasn't he? Um, He he went to visit... Went down to Edison, it was marvellous. Oh, I felt fabulous going there. It's like going home. Ever since he's a small boy, he's wanted to go back to Enstone. Well, he's gone back as a small boy, as a medium boy, as a young man. He's, he's, <laughs> you know, it's quite odd. It's quite odd, really. They've got rid of the Australian, but gained a boomerang. Uh, that's all we've got time for. Okay, uh, thank you to all of our guests uh, this oh, week. Oh, no, it's and... not. I've forgotten the uh, biggest story oh. of the week. Really? Go on. Yes. Go on, we're going back to NASCAR. If we need to. Oh, yes. No, this is a big story. This is a big story. We let Shea go now. We did. Yes. Yeah, go on then. Go and play football or something. Uh, Soccer. Uh, Michael Jordan. Go on. Michael Jordan has uh, bought a NASCAR team. With Bubba Wallace. Is that right? Bubba Wallace is uh, going to drive it. Right, okay. Denny Hamlin is bought it. Denny Hamlin is the uh, person who's going to run it. Wow, that is a, that is a big story, isn't it? It is, that a, is big a big story. That's a massive crossover sports story because Michael Jordan is still a giant of sport globally and uh, particularly in the US. Uh, he's he's. I mean, it's like Beckham doing anything, isn't it? When Beckham turns up anywhere, Manchester United used David Beckham to launch their third strip, their change-change strip, uh, the other day, because it's Beckham. And it, it's the only way that, you know, third strips are pointless anyway. So, um, it, it's ju- it's ju- he's, that's huge. That it's not his huge. first foray into motorsport either, is it? Is it not? No. Michael Jordan ran a team in AMA Super, or owned a team in AMA Superbikes. AMA. Yes, he did. Yes, Ooh. now you've said that. I I remember that now, but I didn't, if if I'm honest. Uh, so we'll have to keep a close look on that. Definitely, close close eye on it. Um, just just what the sport needs at the moment in so many ways, and fair play for putting whoever's put that together. Uh, great opportunity for all concerned. Uh, that's your lot for this evening. Thanks to the team up in London, the responsible adult. Uh, we are off to the Nürburgring, to mid-Ohio, to points in between. We'll re- be reporting from all of those and bringing you live coverage uh, in sound and vision for most of those. Check www.radio-show.co dot uk for all of the times which auto convert to your browser time and as tim told you a couple of weeks ago you can import them into all the major calendar apps as well i'm john hindoff there's no time to explain the llama's off to the nurburgring